Hey fans, got a pretty cool announcement for you. The Athletic College Football is going to be live in New Orleans for the College Football Playoff National Championship. Join us Saturday, January 11th at the House of Blues, New Orleans for live episodes of The Audible with Bruce and Stu and The Andy Staple Show. Doors open at noon central and the show starts at 1. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football. I can tell you that Bruce and I could not be more excited to do this. And special thanks to The Athletic for putting it all together. For tickets, go to theathletic.com slash houseofblues. They're on sale now. Make sure you get your tickets in advance because we are fully expecting the show to sell out. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Welcome, everybody, to the Damn Good Podcast, the first one of 2020. I'm sorry, I know everyone's saying things like that, so I'll just keep it to that. Uh, this is Seth Emerson. Over there is Rennie Current. Rennie, how you doing? Man, doing great. Doing great. Excited for the new year. Fired up, man. Now... The last show I did was in New Orleans. I was there for the second straight year. Uh, I did it with Max Olson, who was there for the athletic for us too. Rennie, you were globe trotting. You were out yes, sir. in Europe. Now, all right, we're, we're, we're going to get to Jake Fromm and Georgia and review the year. Mm-hmm. But first, Rennie, what were you doing in Europe, and what was what was the highlight of where you were? Oh man! Uh, so I decided this year for the first time ever I was going to go to Europe. And uh, it's something I always want to do. You know, we all learn about the European history and all the, uh, you know, the, the from the kings to the, the wars and all those different things that, that took place. So I, I really um, wanted to see that in real life. And then mm-hmm. also for me being a musician, I, I grew up, most people know I play the piano, drums, playing the orchestra. So learning about the Renaissance movement, yep. had to go and trace that. You know, my name, my name is derived from Renaissance. So I was like, I got to. Go and rediscover That's, the Renaissance. <laughs> I didn't know that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, the some of the highlights, man, were just seeing the the architecture and just like the beauty of the place, man. Like they really mm-hmm. do an amazing job of just uh, preserving their history and and making sure that everything is in pristine condition. So going to London, seeing the Big Ben and and uh, all the different sites, and then going to Rome and seeing uh, the Colosseum and seeing the castles and seeing the cathedrals and um, and then Paris, and then going to Barcelona for New Year's. It, it was just breathtaking, man. I didn't um, really have the time to like get all the history behind it, like have the tour guides and all that, but I did just get to see it and appreciate everything for what it was. The only thing that sucked was I, they didn't show the Georgia game out there in <laughs> London, so I had to just follow through Twitter like with all the updates and everything and uh, go from there. So you couldn't find a London bar and say, hey, I need to see Georgia Baylor play college football. Right, yeah. People kind of stare back at you and be like, what? <laughs> yeah, I did get a lot of those, by the way. A lot of what? What are you saying? Like, they, I guess yeah. they couldn't understand my, my southern accent. But, um, but now, nah, yeah, I, I didn't find any bars, anything playing a Georgia game. They, they, most of y'all have been playing soccer, replays of soccer games and, and all that good stuff. But it was an amazing trip, man. Yeah, I've been to I, I've I've not been to London except to fly through Heathrow 
or Rome. I want to go to the Colosseum at some point. Um, I went to Barcelona because I, I lived in Spain when I was very little, um, mm. like five years old. And I also went to Paris around that time, and I don't remember them. But I've, I've been to Europe the last two years uh, yeah. to visit Germany, where my wife is from. And last year I was in Vienna. I can say last year because that was 2019. Um, and you talked about Renaissance and music and whatever. I got to listen to a Mozart concert wow. in this um, – this it's called an orangery in Vienna. It's the place that Mozart himself had actually performed at some point. So a lot, you're right. A lot of cool history there. It's like, yeah, I'll yeah, make yeah. this the last thing and then we'll get on to Georgia football. I, I promise. But, um, <laughs> my wife always laughs when we in America are going around and saying, Oh, this is historical. You know, this yeah. is from the 1800s, you know, <laughs> exactly, this is from yeah. the 1700s. She's like, go to Europe yeah. where you walk and it's, you see stuff. It's like the seventh century. And you know Seriously. the 1100s, the 1200s. Although, yeah, because those Europeans kept having all those wars with each other and kept bombing each other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that they try to make look historical that was bu- built like in 1946. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean you're exactly right, and that's one of the things that's so impressive is knowing that when a lot of these buildings were, were built originally, like there were no cranes, there were no you know, mm-hmm. uh, bulldozers and different things, but it's like the level of detail is, is just immaculate, man. It's, that was what impressed me most, was just knowing that somebody thought of this and then they built it and then, or, you know, somebody thought of this, they communicated it to others and those other people were crazy enough to believe that they could actually build it and they, and they did and it still stands to this day yep. strong and solid. So it's, it's really, really cool. Well, uh, speaking of European architectural history, Jake Fromm, uh, so disclaimer, as we are recording this, it is 9.15 a.m. on Tuesday. Um, Jake Fromm has not made a decision. I sit here with a text alert on my phone for Jake Fromm's Twitter account because I think that's probably how it's going to come down. It's how it typically comes down these days. Um, Twitter, Instagram, some sort of social media. Uh, I'm not sure there'll be a press conference to a Alabama style, uh, but he could announce during our show and Rennie and I will just probably re-record the entire show uh, or it could take until Friday. I don't honestly know when he's going to do it. Um, the fact that he didn't announce it promptly after the Sugar Bowl, the way the series of defensive players has, have Richard LeCount, Malik Herring, uh, Eric Stokes. Monty Rice is still out there, but I'd, I'd kind of be surprised. If he, he, he sounded to me like somebody who was probably coming back. Um, but it, it, that means that I think from first, after the Sugar Bowl, went away, back to the Warner Robins making area, probably went hunting and fishing to think it over, came back Monday, met with some people, Kirby Smart, James Coley, some other people, and is still mulling it over. Um, I understand he went to a team meeting Monday night. Understand that you know he's still registered for classes for the spring semester. But that's the kind of stuff, Rennie. You went through this process. Um, that so, Rennie, tell us what about this process and and what tea leaves we could read or whether that even matters. Right. I mean, for me, I personally believe he's going to come back, but it still doesn't uh, take away from the fact that that is such a a stressful. And, you know, just major decision. I mean, 1%, like less than 1% actually gets to that point where they're able to even have that to be something on their mind <laughs> as a decision to make. So that just tells you the, the capacity of the weight of when it comes to making that decision. 
just how much pressure it is. And then to add on top of that, like for me, I was a, a team captain and had a lot of potential to do some great things if I came back as a senior, um, which Jake is in the same shoes. You know, he's a team captain. A lot of guys are looking up to him. Uh, and he's become he's established himself as that guy, you know, that that go to leader, which adds even more pressure when you make this decision. It's not just affecting you. It's affecting your teammates uh, mm -hmm. and everybody around you. So that that uh, makes it extremely tough. And then you look at the fact that, you know, um, your performance, you know, do you want to leave when you're kind of on the, uh, or do you want to come back and uh, risk the prospects of continuing a decline or a decline in performance or risk that? Or do you want to leave when you feel like your, your stock is at its highest and you've done enough, you've proven yourself um, to, to take it to that next level? And I don't, I don't care what anybody says. It's, it's a business. Like these kids go to college just like the coaches do to put themselves in the best position to take care of their family. And when you get in a position to where you're able to do that, I don't care who you are, a coach or whoever it is, or if you're a janitor, like you're going <laughs> to you're going to look at the opportunity. I think that's what he's doing right now is just weighing out. OK, what, what are. Uh, the opportunities, what are the threats? Um, you know, what what does this mean if I come back? What are those prospects looking like? Uh, how is that going to affect things? Um, you got it. I mean, injuries. That's always a, a, a factor that you have to weigh in. Like, what what if that happens? I mean, there's just so many things that uh, you have to consider. But with uh, when I look at Jake and just who he is as a person, uh, being a person of character, and most of all being a, a person of faith, I know that there is one thing for certain that he is doing, and he's praying. And he's giving it to God, and I'm sure he's kind of just waiting on some type of confirmation. Uh, but it, it's an extremely tough position to be in, especially at 21, 22 years old. Like most, mm -hmm. most of us never, like I said, in, in everyday life or in any type of position like this, where you could potentially change things for your entire family. And so, um, when, when people think about it, the average fan thinks about it. They have to get out of just. I think it is just all about just money. Yeah, my feel all along has been that he will return. But I've never been 100% probably not as sure about that as some other people have been. I think a lot of people have assumed that because he's a Georgia boy, he's a guy that, you know, doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't even really watch the NFL that much. Um, that And I think on the heels of Aaron Murray and David Green, two guys that he gets compared to a lot also, probably especially Aaron Murray, two guys that came back for their senior years that people think, well, of course, Jake's going to return. Um, and of course, they're looking at the draft grade. But I, I, I think that obviously he's torn about this. He has been torn about this or else he would have announced right after the Sugar Bowl that he was coming back. Um, and the longer this goes on, the longer he obviously is torn because he's not going to leave Kirby Smart and James Coley and company hanging with his decision. Uh, he knows they need to know because they've got to get a replacement. Um, it could be somebody on the roster, but it's also probably, you know, they, they need to go on the grad transfer market and see if there's somebody there. Um, they just have to. They, they can't go with this great defense they have coming back and with this, uh, with the pieces on offense that they could put around quarterback, they, they can't go in the next year only with Stetson Bennett, Bennett Carson Beck and Dwan Mathis is the three options. They've got to put in another guy there to at least compete with them and possibly be the starter. So I, I don't think Jake is going to leave him hanging, but I, I don't think he's going to rush into a decision. And he's looking at a lot of things, including will his stock improve if he comes back 
for his senior year. And Rennie, you touched on that. You know, everyone says, well, you're not going to be a such and such pick, so you should come back. Well, a lot of times people make the calculation that I don't know that I'm going to grow a few more inches over the next year. I don't know that I'm going to get much faster. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if my arm strength is going to get better. I don't know if my hands going to get bigger. Um, and if, if Jake Fromm has to look around, I think what is key is his meetings with Kirby Smart and James Coley and just his feel for the team around him is what this offense is going to look like next year, what the scheme's going to be, what the how confident he feels in the receivers. I think the Sugar Bowl helped that a lot. It had to give him some confidence, um, especially if George Pickens flies right and stays, you know, keeps his head where it needs to be. He's a great option. Dominic Blaylock needs to get healthy, but they also feel really good about those receivers they're bringing in. Um, but it, I think also the offensive line helped. You know, he knew he was going to lose Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson, but the way Cade Mays and Jamari Sawyer played at the tackles helped too. Um, so I, I think that Jake probably feels better this time this week than he did this time last week about what Georgia's offense will look like in 2020. Um, but I, I think he also is probably weighing that, you know, look, everyone says my stock's going to, uh, you know, only improve because it, it's at its low right now. But how do we know that? Right now you have one year that was a down year, but two good years that you can still point to. If you come back and have another year that's kind of a so-so year, then does your stock drop even more? So I, I think he's weighing all of those things. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. I think the decision that he makes is going to say a lot about the direction that this team is headed, the culture of Georgia and if he really believes in it a lot or not. And, um, mm-hmm. and it'll kind of send a ripple effect, I feel like, to other players as well uh, who may be thinking about entering the transfer portal and, and different uh, things that, like you mentioned. Uh, but I, I definitely agree that he has to weigh, you know, the, the types of players that he's going to be uh, playing with next year, uh, whether he has that chemistry with them or not. The coaching, like you said before, is he going to continue to develop or is it going to be a, a continual design, uh, decline? Um, I think that's on every player's mind um, when they go in year in and year out. It's like, where do I stand? Where where am I going? Because as a player, you you always know in the back of your mind, you got a small window of opportunity. And we, we've worked, mm-hmm. most of us have worked from five, ten years old for this one opportunity. So you can't say, like, I, I know the fans, like, I, I'm the biggest you know proponent for, for Georgia. I love playing at Georgia, but it's like, you got to think about, you know, at the end of the day, I put this so many years of work, man. And for, for him, you know, he's he's different in the case that, and I don't want to assume because it could be completely different, but the feel mm-hmm. that I get is he's not in a situation where his family is, you know, in a financial, uh, you know, c- constraint and he's got to then take half of his Pell Grant check and send it back home or take out student loans and, and help his family out. Like he's not, doesn't seem to be in that situation, but I know plenty of guys that are, uh, when they come in and when they leave, like their family are looking at them literally to be the breadwinner. And that's when it becomes even like more things that you have to take into consideration. And, uh, like I said, I don't think Jake is in that, that, uh, position. Um, and so I think that has a lot to play in it too. It's just those family dynamics and things that fans don't even a lot of times think about when they think about, oh, can this guy come back and, and help us for this next year um, that are much bigger than football. So I, I think because of those factors, I, I believe uh, Fromm will come back. And I think there's, like you said, a lot of potential 
Uh, we look at the players who we are bringing back, like Dominique Blaylock and Pickens, who's starting to, uh, I think, really find his stride. And, and you know, this mm-hmm. next year, he's only going to grow in his maturity, um, you know, when he gets that offseason and really you know, dig down deep into that playbook. They're not making any major cha- uh, changes offensively besides the offensive line coach. So I think him having uh, really all the all the wide receivers, them all having the chance to really dig down deep and build off of their knowledge instead of it all being new and, and fresh, uh, you're, you're going to see a lot a lot better performance, I believe. And I think when when Jake take Jake takes a look at those factors, like he has no reason not to come back. Yeah, well, you touched on uh, the offensive staff. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Kirby does because the departure of Scott Fountain to Arkansas gives him some options. You know, a lot of people kept saying, well, he needs to bring in another offensive coach. And I kept saying, well, I don't think he's going to fire anybody on the offensive staff, um, especially James Coley, which is what you know people wanted him to do. Well, Todd Hartley, the tight ends coach, has a lot of experience cover, or coaching special teams. He did that at Miami. So do you move Todd Hartley over to special teams or just add that to his title? I think you could do that. Um, I don't, I don't watching practice a lot of times. I mean, we don't get to see all of practice, but it it seems like, and you may know better when, when you were at Georgia, there was no special teams coordinator because they had one less spot. The NCAA added a spot later by the time Kirby came around. But um, when you go to practice and when we were out there, you know, Scott Fountain was up there just kind of watching the kickers and the punters. You kind of got the impression that those guys could probably coach themselves, especially the year they had Kevin Butler as a student assistant. So what if Todd Hartley just adds special teams coordinator to tight ends? Or what if he goes to do that entirely and that opens up tight ends and you bring in somebody that is a tight ends coach that is also, you know, kind of a guru Um, or, you know, Jim Chaney at Tennessee this year, I don't think has a specific position he coached. He was just kind of the offensive coordinator and he was kind of a guru, um, but he was the play caller. So Kirby has some options here to to be creative with the offensive staff. And maybe that's figuring into it. Maybe Jake is in communication with Kirby and Coley about what that's going to look like. Because if he is going to come back to this team for a senior year, he, he wants to look he wants to know what the team's going to look like, what the coaching staff is going to look like, too. Oh, yeah, w- without a doubt. And that was one of my biggest reasons that when I um, made my final decision is what it came down mm-hmm. to was the fact that we fired our entire defensive staff with, with Martinez and Jancic. And, and so I really didn't know what I was going to come back to. And a lot, and as a player, I don't care what any, any of us say, like we think about the, the coach that's coming in because that means that could mean an entirely new culture. That could mean right. like somebody that you ultimately, that's like a step parent that you don't get along with at all, and they they kill your confidence. You know, some some of them come in and have a power trip, and they want to establish this. You know, uh, new 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 uh, that there's a new sh- uh, sheriff in town and that type of mentality. <laughs> so it's it's a tough thing. It's a huge risk, especially when you're talking about this is going to be your senior year. Uh, your last year there and you're having to learn a whole new scheme and deal with a whole new personality or group of personalities so that that could be part of uh what's what's holding jake back just kind of making sure that uh the day after he decides he's going to come back that they you know they don't just say oh you know so it's so so and so is out and we're bringing in a whole new offensive system and 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 all that because that would definitely he has to consider that 
So moving off this, I want to kind of pull this out just to do kind of a quick season review while we have you here. So at the beginning of the year, I predicted my official on the record prediction, but it was not with too much confidence, was that Georgia was going to finish with the record that they finished with, 12-2. and two. Um, I think that's what I had them with, yeah. But I got there in a – no, I think I may have said 13-2. Um, I got there in a different direction. I had them winning the SEC over Alabama. Um, no one saw Joe Burrow and, Al- and LSU coming except Joe Burrow and LSU. Um, and then I had them winning a semifinal game against Michigan. That didn't work out. Um, and then I had them losing to Clemson in the national championship game. I may end up getting that Clemson part right. We'll see. But you still pull back. And what do you think about this season, Rennie? On paper, a little bit forward than last year, but only because they, they have a better record because they won the bowl game, unlike last year. But they were also less competitive in the SEC championship game than they were in 2018. They were uh, they did not blow out teams the way they did in 2018. So that could be construed as a step back. Defense, better. Offense, clearly not as good. Do you think this was a step back for the program 2019 or just kind of a continuation that may feel like you know it a step back because it wasn't a step forward or do you think in any way this was a step forward yeah i mean for me i i think I, it's a lateral step like not a step backward not a step forward it's, right. it's almost like we're at this we're still at that same level on the cusp of really being great but just not quite there yet and i think the biggest disappointment this year was just the level of expectation you know we're having the offensive line we're having jake Fromm coming back uh, with having those, those you know, players like a George Pickens who everybody's raving about. Um, but on the on the other end, you know, we had some great things happen. I mean, our defense, like you said, really took a step forward this year and uh, really solidified themselves as, as a dominant force. Even though, you know, the the LSU game wasn't the greatest showing, but I think overall they did an amazing job this year and were able right. to rotate so many players. I mean, we had so many young guys who were making plays. Um, that when I when I think about it, guys like Nicobe Dean and and uh, Nolan Smith and Aziz Ajilari, uh guys who really stepped up. Uh, so that on that end, and it's such a bright future. And then you got the DBs who are coming back, uh, Rich LeCount and uh, Eric Stokes. Um, that that's only going to add to it. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the continuation of what they can do. And then I always um, talk about when when people look at the season, upcoming season, and what it may or may not be is injuries, you know, those always uh, play a major role. And you look at, you know, what happened with, with just Dominique Blaylock and a lot of players throughout yeah. the course of the season who has uh, been nicked up and banked up who would have made a major difference. You know, Lawrence Cager, uh, who knows how, how the momentum would have swung if he was able right. to make some big plays early on in, in the LSU game. And I think even when we look back at this LSU game, like they, they obviously got one of the best offenses like ever in the SEC. Uh, to come through. So I, I think when we look back on that game and what they were able to do and how we perform, it, it won't be as bad. You know, when you look at the body of work that they put together collectively from everybody who they played. So that that was just a great team. I mean, there's, there's just nothing else that you can really say about it. Um, you know, besides the South Carolina game, I, I think this team is a really uh, just hardworking team, a, a team that was uh, full of grit, team that showed a lot of resilience and I'm, I'm honestly proud of, of what they were able to do, 
you know, and, and even though it wasn't up to the expectations, I think they know that they have a lot of work to do. But overall, I mean, they, they did some great things this year. Yeah, I think lateral step is a good way to put it and kind of wish I'd come up with that term before you did it. So good job, <laughs> you, Ray. Um, they, again, on paper, when you look at the scores, they took a step back because they didn't blow teams out the way they did the previous two years and they were less competitive in the SEC championship. I also think they ran into a buzzsaw against LSU. They did not run into a buzzsaw against Alabama um, the year before. Um but they were less competitive. But a lot of this goes back to the offense. The reason they did not blow out teams the way they did in 2018 and 2017 is because the offense wasn't as good. They have to work on that. This is a step back if they continue doing what they're doing on offense, if they believe that the offensive problems were an execution problem that were because of injuries and inexperience at receiver. If they don't look in the mirror and say, wait a second, we need to make changes on offense. Then it's a step back. It is a lateral step or a step forward if they say, you know what, this kind of exposed our thinking on offense, this man ball approach you know, of, of run the ball all the time. Which, by the way, when Kirby Smart used the term man ball after uh, the SEC championship, that warmed the hearts of a lot of people because um, some the, the, a blogger, um, Michael – uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Brockstein, who runs the Get the Picture uh, website, has used the manball phrase. And then I used manball in one of my stories and credited Michael. So Kirby either read my story or read Michael's blog and used the manball phrase. So that's great. But anyway, uh, sorry for the tangent. But if uh, if they look in the mirror and say we need to make changes, then this was not a step back season because then I think they will improve the offense in 2020. I also do believe they are looking in the mirror and making changes. They're just not coming out and announcing it. He's he's not, you know, we may see an offensive mind added to this staff, an offensive guru added to this staff after this show comes out at some point. But I don't think it's Kirby's way to get up and say, you know what, I messed up. I'm changing my whole philosophy. I think he's just going to do it. I've, I've written this before, too, that, when Mark Richt and Mike Bobo decided to modernize the offense, they didn't hold a press conference and announce that. They just did it. They just added the no huddle. They just added. They just went to the spread. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of the way coaches tend to operate. They speak through their actions, and sometimes that means hiring coaches. They don't, you know, come out and hold a press conference and say, "Here's our new playbook." <laughs> you know, they're not going to do that. Um, but I do think that. The Sugar Bowl showed that they want to go more tempo. They want to spread out more. They want to take more downfield shots. And by the way, the SEC championship showed that too, but the execution just wasn't there. And a lot of that was because of injury and stuff. And a lot of it, I think, was because for 12 games, they did do a lot of this man ball stuff and then said, all right, we're going to really try and air it out and change things up against LSU. But it's hard to do that in a week of practice. They had several weeks leading up to the Sugar Bowl, and it looked better when they did that. So that's my long-winded way of saying that if they get the offense moving, this was not a step-back season. And I think there's reason for for optimism on the offense. But I will caution it by saying they still have to move in a lot of receivers. They still have to uh, they still have to move in a, a few you know offensive linemen, and they lose DeAndre Swift and Brian Harry. And you know the, the bowl was great. It was also one game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I when I look at this team and like you said, 
what they have the opportunity to do moving forward and how it can be a, a step forward. It's all to me going to be about that leadership. And by that, I mean, aside from the coaches, because, you know, Kirby can bring in anybody who he wants to that offensive mm-hmm. guru that you mentioned. But if these guys don't take that ownership in this offseason, man, especially that wide receiver group where you have leaders yeah. emerging, stepping up, uh, same thing with the defense, um, you know, at every position, honestly, where they're meeting uh, by themselves, they're getting the, the running extra routes, they're doing the things that they need to do to make sure that they have that uh, camaraderie and that uh, between if Jay decides to come back, that they have just that relationship built, man. It's going to be an, a, another tough season. And I, that's what I didn't see was just that killer instinct uh, and that in, in sync, you know, uh, the the instinct relationship between that um, the wide receiver and the quarterback uh, position. And you kind of saw that uh, in this last game. And I think that's something that needs to be established throughout the whole entire season. And it starts with how they, you know, go into this offseason, man, and just recommitting themselves to each other, making sure like peer-to-peer, player to player aside from the coaches that they're on the same page and i do think what you're touching on there the leadership and the culture um but especially the leadership part it does loom large that we're not talking about it as much because georgia won the game but there was a lot of those questions and they were legit questions leading up to the game because they had so many players out you know Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson sitting out the game, J.R. Reed sitting out the game with a foot injury that, you know, maybe he would have tried to play through if it was a playoff game. I don't I don't look at that and ascribe, you know, I mean that that's kind of the trend now. Um but they they had a lot of players that were missing this game for reasons that are again undisclosed. Have I as a reporter been told by sources reasons? Yeah, but you know, I I'm being careful there. Okay. Um, no one like killed a man and is sitting out for that reason, you know, it's, but you know, there are reasons again, there were a lot of people that were out and one of them was academics that we've confirmed Ben Cleveland. Um, there were others that were academics and you can kind of look at the depth chart and wonder, you know, who wasn't there and, and why. Um, so they have to answer that question about, about, I don't know if it's so much culture or again, leadership. And by the way, it was, couple of those seniors were the ones, some of the ones not in the game didn't come because of undisclosed. They, they clearly do not have the leadership they had on that 2017 team. The question is, was that leadership in 2017 just kind of a once in a lifetime kind of thing where you had all these seniors come back plus juniors like Roquan and, and, and that, or is that something that you've still got to say, we still got to work towards that. And that's, I think that's a, like you said, that's a question for the offseason. Yeah, no, it, it definitely requires you to be intentional about it. Like, it's it's one of those things that doesn't just happen. Um, you have to have guys who it really means something to them to be those leaders and to be those guys who step up and, and ring guys by the neck. Um, so, and you're right, it's, it's rare for it to happen for that combination of the, the leadership and the talent um, to take place. But and when it does, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but I, I think it's crucial in terms of this team and where they're going. Like as much five stars and whoever that we're bringing in, if if we don't have the ability to 
you know, not only build the right culture and, and build leaders, but also those those players that we're bringing in. Are they the right type of players? Are they guys who mm-hmm. really care? Are they leaders? Are they, you know, not just because you can bring in any guy who is a playmaker, but is he can he handle even being second string? You know, can he um, fight, fight through not being the guy and, and or can he handle Athens, you know, in, the, in downtown? Mm-hmm. Uh, all those different dynamics, man. So I, I think that's where the leadership, the player to player leadership comes into play. Um, and, and that starts, like I said, where when the lights aren't on, there's no TVs, there's no cameras, there's no games. It's like in, in, in the offseason, like I said. Yeah, to that end, um, th- there's been a lot of discussion about Zachary Evans, five-star running back. I'm not sure how familiar you are with him or that situation, but five-star running back out of the Houston area that <clears throat> word came out through the recruiting sites and such that Georgia all of a sudden was a candidate to sign him, thought may even be announced during the early signing period then it wasn't and then like the next day it comes out that he's suspended for his state championship game because of an incident with his coach where his coach asked him to give him his cell phone which i guess he does of all players and he refused to do it and one thing leads to another and he's suspended for the game wasn't his first suspension of the season um then it comes out this season again 24 7 reporting and i think rivals maybe and some other places maybe too that uh he's not coming to georgia they've also reported that he signed with georgia i haven't confirmed that on my own but that he signed with georgia but he's not coming so how that gets sorted out i you know we we still have to figure it out but in the big picture i do wonder if and this is just my own educated speculation. I haven't talked to Kirby about it. He hasn't been available after the Sugar Bowl or you know, since all this came about, and he can't talk on the record about it either. But I do wonder if with everything that happened leading up to the Sugar Bowl with all the players missing for undisclosed reasons and everything, and then they decide to take Evans, but then the cell phone thing happens, and at that point they say, you know what, okay, we're, we have a pretty good backfield as it is. This guy may be a great dynamic player, but – you know, maybe, maybe we can do without. Um, I would think that that might be a good thing for the program and an indication that Kirby says, you know what, culture wise, we, we need to, you know, we need to be a little careful here and, and touches on what you were saying, Rennie, about, you know, taking the right guys and having the right mix. Yeah, that, that's it, man. Every five star player is not uh, good for your program. It's not good for your culture. It's not going to, you know, bring the the right type of mentality, and you know, especially when you look at the guys who are from the Houston's and the New York. No, no knocks against them at all, but when you when you take a guy like that over a guy that maybe is a four star, but is from Valdosta, Georgia, or is from Gwinnett County, and grew up a Georgia fan and loves the dogs with all his heart, like there's just a difference, man. When they suit up, like it means something. It means something completely different than it does a kid who's just you know coming out of Houston does not really know the history of Georgia, does not know Southern hospitality, <laughs> you know, all those little things, man. Uh, it, it makes a really, really uh, big difference. So I think Georgia is smart for looking at things like that. Like if, if that's a problem now, like a cell phone, then what happens when he gets to an Athens and his name starts, uh, you know, he starts making a, a few plays or he, he doesn't get the opportunity to, to get out there and make those plays that he thought he would. What type of guy is he going to turn into? And uh, that's that's not talked about enough. It's just like the character of these guys coming in. What are their parents like? Some of these players' parents, man, they're arrogant as I don't know what. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't tell them anything. So um, it, I think you definitely, as a coach, have to be mindful of the type of person that you're bringing in 
whether they're a leader, whether they're just, they're just a good person. Are they a good person who you want your kids to be around? Things like that. So I think it's a smart decision. No yeah, <laughs> you made an interesting kind of point about in-state versus out-of-state. Georgia's recruiting a lot out-of-state. And, you know, if you look back at that 2017 team, they had a, a few of those leaders were out-of-state guys, like Sony Michelle and Isaiah Wynn from Florida. Um trying to think of some other guys but then you think of the core guys like Roquan Davin Bellamy Lorenzo Carter Nick Chubb um you know uh Jeb Blazevich was from North Carolina um but Dominic Sanders is from Georgia Aaron Davis is from Georgia I don't know John Atkins I believe is from Georgia um that's an interesting point that's an interesting point it doesn't mean don't recruit out-of-state players I mean goodness knows there's been some really you know, good citizens come from out of state. Aaron Murray is one we just, you know, talking about earlier in the show. But maybe that's where you have to be a little bit more selective. So interesting point. Interesting point. All right. Uh, anything else, Randy, as we wrap up here? Oh, man, uh, I'm just excited, man. I'm, I'm proud to be a dog. Like I said, I'm, I'm proud of the work that these guys put together this year. Even though, you know, it didn't meet the expectations of what we wanted. We, they didn't blow teams out like we wanted them to, like, it still doesn't take away from the fact that this it's no joke playing in the SEC. It's like playing in the NFL. Um, it's it's very very extremely competitive. Like what these guys are putting their bodies through, still having to go to school. Like I always think about all those different dynamics of what it takes to uh, put together a season like this. And because uh, we do have this level of expectation of being that national championship caliber team, it kind of takes away from from what we do, what we are able to put together when we don't reach it, uh, reach that level. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see, as always, um, what the future holds for this team and, and the guys that are going to be bringing in. I'm going to be going back and forth to Athens. Now, I'll be in a lot of those guys' ears just trying to mentor and, and help them out as much as I can. So I'm, I'm just uh, excited for them, even the ones who are leaving, too. So, yeah. Yeah, and that number now includes Solomon Kinley, by the way. As we are on the air recording this, News has broken. Solomon Kinley, Georgia guard, has declared for the NFL draft via his Instagram post. So there you go. We were wondering about Jake Fromm. An offensive player did declare for the draft, just not that one that we expected. So uh, Solomon Kinley going to the NFL. Uh, you know, that's that's that one slightly surprising, but fourth-year junior. So that. I think Rennie could be a case of, I've been in college a while, uh, time to start making some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, it, it could be factors that we have no clue about. I don't know if he's a father or not. I was. Um, I don't know what his, what his family situation is like, but those, I'm telling you, man, like those factors, you can't ignore it uh, when, you, when you're in that position and when you have the opportunity to, like I said, to, to change things for your family. It's something that, that weighs heavily on you. <laughs> Trust me, like weighs extremely heavily on you when it comes down to making that decision. Because for most of us, like we have never, like number one, most of us coming through a program like Georgia, we're the first persons in our in our entire family's existence to, to ever be in that position. And then, um, you know, for majority, I say 99% of the guys, they're the first ones to ever make, or have the opportunity even uh, talk about making six figures so it's life-changing 
especially to have it as your first job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, he's from Jacksonville. Solomon Kinley is. Uh, I don't know his personal situation, but he was a guy. He, he's not like that's not out of the blue. He he started. I think he might started the better part of three years at Georgia and um, started every game he was healthy this year. Um, so. You know, it's not out of the blue. He's he's got you know he's a, about a three hundred thirty pound guard who's athletic. You know, I wrote about him as a guy that uh, like he was a a lifeguard in high school. So he's he's a guy that NFL teams are going to look hard at. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> Rennie, as we finish with some breaking news, and I'm tweeting right here some breaking news too, just verifying it and everything. But um, any closing notes? Um, yeah, as I was saying before, I'm just excited to be the dog, be a dog, and uh, excited to see what these guys are going to put together, especially in the off season. Um, now that you know a couple guys have decided to declare for the draft, I think it opens up a door of opportunity for a lot of those younger guys who have been licking their chops, have been holding their helmets on the sidelines, waiting to get a chance to make a play. So uh, I'm, I'm fired up about the future of, of this team and, and seeing where they go. All right, well, Rennie, it's been fun having you as a podcast partner this season let's see what 2020 holds we just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose we just crushed their face